Welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and it gives me great pleasure to be chatting with you today. Uh, I hope you're having a great day wherever you are in the world listening to this. I'd like to say thanks to Anchor, my sponsor for the podcast, as well as Generate 22, which is a robotics and AI conference to be held over two days, 30 and 31 March at Box Hill Tape Lilydale in Melbourne. Anchor is an advanced manufacturing company of CNC grinding machines, automation, motion control solution, and sheet metal fabrication. Anchor pushes the boundaries of what is possible so that their customers are future-proofed. Anchor has 19 patents in the field of mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, and software, and is the winner of over 25 industry awards. Anchor invests almost 10% of its annual turnover into research and development to keep operating in a world of technology. The talented team are creating and inventing new products, breaking new ground in advanced manufacturing on a daily basis. It gives me great pleasure today to introduce you to Laura Mabikifola, who is the Executive General Manager of Skills Lab, which is part of the SAGE group. Laura, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Nikki. It's great to be here. Did I get your surname, your, your surname right? You did very well, and unusually so, so well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Laura, you have over 25 years' experience in people in industry, so skill-focused incorporating organisational development, HR and recruitment. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Absolutely, would love to. Um, so I really went from uh, school, I was accepted into um, applied science um, undergraduate degree, um, but um, decided to enter the world of work straight away and um, really fell into the recruitment industry, which I didn't even know was an industry before that. Um, but um, when I entered um, and understood this was all about people and connecting people with the right opportunities, there was something I just loved about that. Um, I then um, quickly identified that I would love to um, take on a consulting role um, and at that stage became the youngest consultant with a company called Morgan & Banks at the time and then um, went on and uh, helped to establish, um, I worked with Morgan & Banks for about eight years, went on to establish um, Talent2, worked with a group of 14 of us to establish that around uh, Australia all at the same time and then um, and then really progressed on to take on um, different CEO, MD roles across um, recruitment, payroll, training, organisational psychology businesses. So it's always been about people performance. And uh, I love the people industry. Um, and then uh, being able to connect with people across different industry sectors, but um, then being able to align that with an engineering environment, which is what I've been doing over the last uh, five to six years um, has been fantastic. So really integrated into that um, engineering field specifically. And uh, what I talk about with people is essentially um, my career has always been about people performance. So really aligning performance outcomes with business objectives. So you're based in Adelaide and just touching on the, the recruitment industry and you mentioned specifically engineering. Now, I'm assuming that recruitment industries, they have their specialities and you need to actually know what goes on in engineering when you're placing people. How has this changed in the years that you've been doing it and really focusing on it and specifically more to robotics as well? Yes, well, um, interestingly, my um, career started in accounting recruitment. So I was um, in a different field altogether and uh, 
I know at the time, yes, you do need to know about it and understand what are some of the um, trends that are, that are taking place, what are the key skills and the, the gaps in skills that are emerging, and how do you transition skill sets into different environments. Uh, but it really grew from there, and I then took responsibility for, um, for the customer service, um, office support, engineering, IT, um, teams and beyond. So really it was, um, it was uh, supporting teams across the board. What I've seen take um, place in particularly across the engineering and IT sector, and um, you mentioned robotics as well, um, I think what we have seen is that the, the skills required are so rapidly advancing now. And we have also identified that typically where people have been coming out from, um, from an uh, engineering degree, for example, um, there's a, another immersion into a whole learning area that they will need to undertake with an organisation um, and will need to continue on with the learning journey. So what we saw, whether it's with accounting or with engineering, you know, 20 something years ago, people did their degree and really that set them up to just continue on and operate in that field for quite a long period of time. Um, that's not the case now. People are needing to then keep current. It's this continuous learning that's taking place now. It's a, a, a lifelong learning approach is absolutely critical because otherwise people will be redundant after a, a certain period of time um, because there's so much change that's taking place. You know, a number of the engineers that we, um, that we work with, they recognise if they are on a project for a certain number of years, they are reaching out constantly to say, how do I keep up to date? How do I ensure that I'm across the latest, um, the latest tech, the differences that are, that are taking place here? And also, I want to get exposure to some different projects so that I've got the, that currency and skill. And I think certainly what we've found is then people looking at that um, absolutely across the robotic space, um, whether that's been um, looking at cobots and trying to dabble in that a little bit more um, or, um, yeah, really a whole range of the different um, tech areas. It makes me think about teachers that have got professional development days and I'm beginning to think that anyone in an engineer, in a STEM career, that this is going to become the norm because, it, as you mentioned, it's so rapidly changing. I mean, I'm, I'm in the industry and I can't even keep up with what's yeah. going on. Every the, the amount of newsletters that you have to read to be current, to know, and mm -hmm. I'm very niche in what I do, but still have to have a broader knowledge of what's going on in robotics. So I can just imagine engineers going, and it is, there's, there's a lot happening. Oh, definitely. And I think that's, that's a really important point where um, to keep up with the, the tech, if that is the goal, then we'll always be a little bit behind. Yeah. I think the shift has been um, really focusing on the why or the, what is the problem that we're actually trying to solve here? What is the, um, the, the outcome, the solution, the opportunity that we're looking at? And if we focus on the, the why rather than the how with which different tech solution we're going to adopt for that, um, that's going to keep us current. Um, because there'll always be a different solution to adopt. There'll always be a different way to integrate something um, or to bring that in. Um, but that core skill, which actually really rises some of those softer skills, those human factors, um, has certainly risen just as strongly as, as the technical skills have. Um, you know, that ability to be able to see a problem, to see an opportunity that can be explored. Entrepreneurial thinking, complex problem solving, some of these skills are really quite critical um, in um, sitting alongside of how to actually, actually execute um, a, a technical solution. Laura, you're a prime example of someone who's walking the talk because I can see how you've uh, progressed in your career doing things from 
from, from starting from accounting to now at skills and having started skills lab at SAVE. Just before we touch on that, what have been career highlights for you up until now? And maybe what have been some of the challenges that you've had to face? Absolutely. Well, one of the key highlights for me has been working with fantastic people and getting the, uh, the opportunity to, um, to identify their capabilities, their talents, and then to see them uh, go on to lead so many different businesses. And, uh, and that's really quite a, a thrilling thing for me to still connect in and see how they've continued to, to thrive and, and go forward from there. Um, one of the, what has been one of the, the challenges has been um, changing industry sector to be quite immersed into um, an industrial digitalization business and having to really learn a whole range of different aspects um, and to get quite across it where now I can have those conversations that uh, that will be quite technical, but it's still looking at it through a people lens. Um, so it's been a fantastic challenge, but it has certainly been a challenge. Um, some of the other key things that I, I can see, uh, you know, it's two sides of the coin. There's the real learning and fantastic opportunity and that have then in, resulted in a highlight. And the flip side of that is it presented as a, as a significant challenge originally and uh, think a couple of the other ones has been um, learning how to pitch a new idea, a new concept, and that, that came out of uh, trial and error and a lot of frustrations and then just doing some um, further research and then identifying different ways to pitch new ideas. Um, and also identifying that sometimes to get teams working and diverse um, teams um, split across different uh, geographies or different complexities, um, that working out that if we need if there are sometimes some challenges in how to uh, make that, that work and really forming a, a successful culture of innovation and all the rest, that some norms needed to be established. So putting in some, some norms and a framework for, um, for teams really helped people to be able to operate better together. Um, they hated the norms, but it meant that they would fight against the norms as opposed to fighting with each other. And uh, I think that's, yeah. that's some of the key things there. You know what, underlying all I'm hearing from you, and this would resonate with Pat Bowlin, who I had a chat with, who's um, Anchor's founder and the sponsor, it's about people. It's always about the people. Absolutely. You know? And if, if managers and never mind what technology or what field you work in, it's always about building strong teams. Once you've got those capabilities, you know, the sky's the limit. It, look, it's fundamental. And I think this is where we're seeing the the rise of, of robotics and there's that fear that people um, you know, come up with as far as our robots taking our jobs. And I would absolutely say that's not the case, but we need to work better at working with them. So, yeah. and so there is definitely a change in the way that we work, the change in the way that we interact, um, but it is absolutely integrated in everything that we do. So it has changed how we are, how we live, how we work, um, but it hasn't shifted people from being at the core. So yeah. people are still absolutely at the core and that ability to, um, to question things, to be curious, is um, critical, more critical now than ever. Yeah. So you joined SAGE and you established the Skills Lab and, and you're the Executive General Manager. So tell us a little bit about this initiative that you started. And congratulations, by the way. Look, thank you. In fact, SAGE have been training um, for many years, um, since about 2007, and uh, had the opportunity of coming in and really working with a, a fantastic team across the SAGE group. And we identified that we'd been doing a lot of customised training or short course training, and we identified that there was a real opportunity if we could um, 
secure our registered um, training organisation status, to be able to align it with accredited training so people could walk out with units of competency or a qualification, if you like, but still enable that to be really relevant for industry. Um, and that's really what we set out to do, was to say, what are the current industry requirements? What are the current industry challenges? How do we then reverse engineer that back to ensure that that's aligning with the training package, with, um, with uh, key units, um, so that people can not only retain their relevancy and their currency, they can upskill and reskill, but they can also walk away with something that's quite meaningful for a pathway or, for, or a qualification um, to really support them in their entire career as well. So that's what we did. And we set out to do that um, three years ago. We've, uh, we've just passed our, um, our three-year mark as a, as a training organisation. And, uh, and it has been a fantastic journey with the opportunity of working with a lot of um, very passionate and uh, talented leaders in industry, um, talking about what some of the, the skills gaps are and what some of the needs are, which really led us to start exploring this digital engineering higher apprenticeship. The skills gap in Australia, we're all aware that there is one and it's it's getting even bigger as we sit here speaking. What is happening and why is it happening? Yeah, I mean, we touched on that before as far as the, the rapid change in technology um, that is driving a, a lot of change with skills. Um, what we're seeing is the half-life of a skill is reducing. So, um, as I mentioned previously with accounting, you would look at, you know, 20 years would be the, uh, the half-life of a skill. Um, we're now looking, I think there was a study done in 2014, which said that it was uh, 10 years was the skill. We're now in 2021. So you look at, well, what, what's the half-life of a skill now? And we, we both commented on how uh, if being specialists in an area, you can sometimes feel disconnected to, um, to some of the new and emerging um, trends and changes, even though you've got such a deep um, deep knowledge across the area, um, which is what the engineers have been talking about as well. Um, so I think that what we're seeing is that, um, that the skills themselves are rapidly changing and how we are applying those across multiple platforms um, is also changing. And the fact that we're in now a new industrial revolution is having a significant impact on that. So um, I mentioned before, the way that we work, live, operate has changed. Um, that has caused new skills to emerge. So with the, the fourth industrial revolution, it's obviously then um, created this uh, a connected system. So we've got, um, we're quite familiar with the automation and, um, and even robotics to a certain extent, but how these systems are all now connecting, um, how that's being integrated into the, to the world of work is creating a whole range of new skills that are required. Um, and I think one of the things that we're seeing across Australia, we're also seeing a, a change because of COVID. Uh, we're seeing less um, people come into Australia, obviously, with, with migration. We are seeing those skills um, gaps that are emerging there. But the ability to critically think and look at um, how to apply a solution to a, to a problem is absolutely in demand. Um, we're seeing that uh, most organisations are undertaking a digital transformation or a digital journey um, right now, um, they many have already embarked upon that, but this is not that there's a start point and an end point. I think what we're seeing is it's a it's a it's a continuum now. This continuum of uh, of focus on you know what's possible as a result of um, connected systems, and so with multiple entry points. And I think for organisations that are that are looking at this, sometimes they um, 
can feel a little bit overwhelmed as to the, the radical changes that are needed, but it doesn't have to start as this holistic whole um, organisational change, um, but it can be incremental changes that take place throughout that time. Um, so I think it's the skill of looking at, well, what, what do we need to do? What's our starting point? What's our source of truth? What are the inroads? What do we need to upskill with our teams? I think if we ask every um, CEO, they will all identify um, that there is a, a, a skills gap that they um, can absolutely recognise. Um, they're not quite sure how they're going to meet it, um, but also looking at, um, at um, you know, the current teams, they recognise there's a reskilling that's required. In fact, we forum talked about in the next um, five years, over 50% of um, our organisations will need to reskill. So we are looking at some significant numbers coming through there that's been echoed by CEOs. Um, and, uh, and I think that because this transformation is taking place, that's what's driving this need for reskilling, um, upskilling, and also transition of skills into different sectors. You know, what I, I really like about um, the Skills Lab is that you know, you've got your traditional university pathways and that's great, but universities, and I think they're starting to do it also um, now for giving these little micro-credentials that you can do. But I think from your point of view, you're really in touch with the industry and I'm not by any means suggesting that universities are, but you're able to pivot very quickly, whereas I don't. I don't get the sense that it's that easy to do that at universities because it's such a behemoth, you know, institution. So there, there's a lot of more red tape to go through when you quickly want to go, listen, let's add this or take this away or whatever the case may be. Talk to us a little bit about the digital engineering higher apprenticeship. Um, and how that emerged. Um, absolutely, and, and it's actually um, quite similar to, to your comment that you just made there. We love working with universities and uh, with the, um, the vet sector as well. Um, but that aligning it with industry skill is absolutely what's needed and being able to understand what some of the changes are that are taking place and then being able to design solutions to that is, is really critical and meeting that with um, solutions such as this digital engineering higher apprenticeship. That came out of a conversation with, um, with a, uh, the head of engineering from SA Power Networks. Yeah. We said there's a skills gap that's taking place here. So um, what we're needing our engineers to do is changing. We're needing the, the rise of these digital skills here. Um, it doesn't necessarily need the traditional pathways of graduates coming into these roles. It could be opened up to look at it from a different perspective. Um, and as we started delving into that, we understood, yes, actually, this is um, you know, more of that paraprofessional level that's emerging um, and it will create a different pathway and it can actually open up different channels of entry for people as well. Um, and it's a, it's a skills gap that is absolutely growing. So um, we worked with them to identify, well, with the Diploma of Applied Technologies, which is on the scope for us, actually meets about 80 to 90% of those requirements. But there is that gap. So let's fill that with a micro-credential, um, a digital engineering micro-credential that will help round that out. Um, and uh, Peter Barnard, who I worked with, fantastic um, visionary and leader in the space as well, and said, yeah, let's do this. Let's absolutely work together. It was a very collaborative approach. So um, he engaged with industry, I engaged with industry. Um, we were working with AI group as well and just really um, speaking with um, a number of organisations um, across the board um, and uh, engineering firms that really said, yeah, we identify with that. We've got this. That's a real need for us. We've got a, a, a real gap in this space, you know, a deeper dive into BIM, GIS, more of the digital artefacts and uh, a deeper dive into coding, um, CAD, et cetera, some mixed reality. 
this is something that we need to look at. So, um, so we've I, we've developed a digital engineering micro credential, as I mentioned, um, and we started to roll that out. One of the things that we were really thrilled with was the organisations that came on board, knowing that this is not perfect because we're rolling it out as we're going. And we said to them, we recognise the need, but are you willing to um, to go with us on this journey to realise that it, there will be discovery that takes place as we're walking this. Um, you know, it hasn't already been delivered, so we can't tell you what the findings are. Are you yeah. willing to be part of it? Um, and we had fantastic organisations that got on board. Um, they committed to it on that basis. And what we set up was a, an employer community to talk about these are some of the challenges, these are some of the findings, and also, wow, I never expected this. This is incredible. And, in fact, some of the people that we identified to come through the, the program, the leaders were, uh, a number of the people, were, the leaders are coming back and saying, I can't believe the pace that they're getting through the work. The way that they're doing things is just so radically different. Um, they, and so the other teams are saying, hang on, they're getting opportunities to do these things that I, I want to get in on that as well. So actually has started to have a real impact in the organisations themselves. What we found was that there's um, we've got over 45% of the non-traditional um, uh, backgrounds coming into these roles because it opened up the entry channel. So it was never set out to be a diversity and inclusion program, but it is a program that's allowed for that because of the nature of its design um, and opening up the channel. So we recruited people to go into these, um, these roles, these digital engineering higher apprenticeships, um, by using an assessment centre methodology, which meant that we were just looking at competency. Didn't matter what school you went to, didn't matter what area you lived in, didn't matter what your background was, present to an assessment centre. We did it all um, virtually because of COVID. Yeah. Um, but um, we said, we want to see what your competencies are. What are you passionate about? What are you curious about? What are you interested in? What, what are the things that you might be developing um, at home on your computer or you're working in? We found that we had some people that um, that did absolutely come through um, with a strong affinity for um, for STEM areas, um, which which we loved and was a natural connection with it. We found that there were some people that came through who were probably really quite strong with an arts background, um, but they were interested in the tech. They just hadn't had an opportunity to explore it, and um, and that was fantastic. And then we had another um, group of people that it was a reskilling. Um, you know, one of the individuals came from a, um, a high-end media editing background um, but loved the concept, loved the idea about it and so has transitioned in and, uh, you know, everyone's singing his praises as well. Um, one of the ladies that's come through into the, the program has just done outstanding things and is really thriving with it. So we've now got these organisations that are saying, this is, this is fantastic. We know that there's still this learning that's taking place but they're committed to the program and really understanding of the fact that um, that this is something that is, is meeting the need and we need to keep on being committed to it to be able to see it really have significant impact down the track. Um, so it's, it doesn't take away from graduate programs. It doesn't take away from the other um, traditional channels, but this is meeting an industry gap with a new solution and, um, and it's been going very well today. Listen, I've spoken to a lot of people in this space and it's recognised everywhere. Um, I think there's enough space in the industry for people such as yourself and whoever else wants to get on board because there's so many people. You know, I'm, I'm listening to your figure that you said previously, 50% of people that you need to have reskilled. That's that's a lot of people that need to be reskilled. And I'm particularly, I'm, it's a pity I work for myself because I thought if I could work for a company, I'd 
put my hand up and go, I want to go for these micro-credentials, but you and I will have a discussion later about micro-credentials I can come and do. And I think it's fantastic. You know, so innovation is core to what you're doing there, basically. It really is. And I think um, one of the things that we've identified and really leaned into with Skills Lab and as part of the Sage Group has been not shying away from having the conversations where you've got the the, the people-oriented people, like, such as myself, yeah. really focus on the people performance side of things, and the, real, the, and the scientists, the engineers, the mathematicians, and both presenting to tackle some solutions, sitting with industry in that. And we've had sessions where we've invited in um, universities, industry groups, other organisations, and all the rest of them said, talk to us about what's taking place right now. Um, let's have this discussion. Let's be present in this discussion to look at what are the solutions that we need to explore. Um, in fact, um, our training and operations manager, Dr. Gary Orwood, um, he is a senior systems engineer. He has also um, trained at university level doing his um, PhD and, and he's now training with Skills Lab. So he's working on current projects and he's also doing this. He is your scientist, your mathematician. He loves physics. He loves all of that. And we work on solutions together um, because it actually really creates something better with both of us being in that discussion to work it through. So I don't shy away from the tech solution side of it. I'm very yeah. present in those conversations. And he equally will, um, will contribute to some of the different social challenges because the conversation is enriched as a result. Listen, so we've obviously, what are the opportunities that are coming out of this? So out of this, I think that there is certainly the opportunity to explore new and different solutions. Um, I think that if people are looking at, um, at meeting um, from an organisational perspective, if they're trying to really shift the dial and um, transforming some areas, then this is the opportunity to look at doing things differently. If you have got a skills gap, addressing that with a micro-credential is a really powerful way of meeting that right now. So right size, right timed chunk of training um, to address that skill is a great way of doing it. And then partnering with people to look at doing things differently is really powerful. Uh, from an individual perspective, um, encouraging curiosity to, to be exploring and to exactly as you've said before, Nikki, you know, you'd love to get involved in doing some micro-credentials. Um, that's going to be a, um, a key thing for people to, um, to tap into, um, to not shy away from. There are fantastic um, opportunities for people to look at that at the moment and to be curious about transitioning from a traditional industry sector that you might be in right now into perhaps a, a digital environment. What is it going to take? How would you like to look at it differently? No. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking if I was the MD of a large company, so such as SP Fireworks, Barnet, and I would just have micro-credentials and I would make it compulsory for staff members to do it because, you know, obviously, you know, you'd support them yeah. and you pay for it and do all of that. But you would take them out of areas that you would go, okay, so for the accountants that are working there, we want you to do, you can pick between these five things, whether it's lines work. I'm not suggesting quite for one moment that they need to go and put up serious lines work, but they need to know the ins and outs of what actually goes on in the business. And yeah. again, like I'm assuming that people know this, but it's not necessarily a right assumption because I actually work for a power company in, in Melbourne. And when you come in um, green like I was, the learning curve is so steep to know what you do in the business that it would have it would have actually been very good for me to go on a couple of little micro credentials that you go, this is just part of your journey, just so that you understand the business that you're working in. 
Yeah, yeah, look, absolutely. And we are seeing a lot of organisations that are, that are allowing some time for that. Yeah. Um, a number have found it a little bit more challenging to create that space. Um, but um, what, um, what I think is really key is partnering with an organisation that's, that's flexible and says, what are the outcomes that you're looking at? And what are your projects? What are your challenges that you're um, exploring right now? Okay, let's look at how we can align that with a training package. The more that people... Uh, or, and um, more relevant is a, a micro-credential. How people can apply in their workplace means that they will actually walk away with greater um, embedding of the skills. You know, so yeah. if it's a real project that they can undertake, you know, maybe it's a matter of, and you know, they might have a team that they say, um, we need to explore a solution and we don't know what it is, or we need to get greater efficiency in this area and we're not quite sure how we're going to um, explore that just yet. Um, See what, see what you can do. And even if you gave that opportunity to people that didn't have your traditional skill sets, I think they'd probably be pretty impressed with what they could explore through getting some um, guidance and support with a micro-credential and then being able to channel through to say, actually, I think that there's an area here that we could, that we could look at. I think organisations will get new ideas. They'll get, um, they'll get different um, solutions that haven't perhaps been tried or explored before. Um, because people, especially when you're talking about existing workers, they know the pain points. Mm. People know where the bottlenecks are, that typically speaking, they know what the frustrations are. Well, then encouraging them and equipping them with the capabilities to say, okay, now understanding that's a pain point, what could be done differently? How could we improve that? Um, And then we encourage you to explore here and here. These are some new and emerging areas. See what you can find out and present it back to us. And even just doing that, I think organisations will be quite blown away with what's possible. Listen, again, going back to your diversity that is so inclusive now for people that wouldn't necessarily have thought in their journey when they finished school or whatever they were studying, that um, a STEM career would be something that they're interested in. But this really highlights how easy it is for them to do this. And, you know... I'm beginning actually to wonder, and for some careers, obviously, you do need a university-based education, but a lot of people with what's available now for free, um, and again, going back to recruiting, you know, the way we're recruiting people today, I'm hoping is evolving with how quickly everything else is evolving. Look, it is, and I think there is so much that is available. There's a lot of funding that's available to support people to upskill and reskill right now. Um, I think that the the key thing is to get started um, and to explore what's possible and to take ownership of people's own learning and growth. Um, You know, don't wait to be handed on a plan of what you should be trained in or what you should learn. Um, And that's something that I'm I'm very passionate about. Be, you know, really a driver of what you're wanting to, um, what you're wanting to um, build, your own skill set, your own capability, because that's what you're going to walk away with beyond this. Um, but yes, absolutely. As far as the uh, how we're recruiting people, being able to look at um, different um, different skill sets, different backgrounds, it's actually become a, a critical thing to look at. You know, um, previously from my recruitment world, um, and when we were interviewing people and looking at speaking with organisations about matching them, they wanted to see on their CV that they'd done the exact job at another place, and that's who yeah. we want to hire. Um, when we're looking at it now, we are really focused much more so on what is the skill set, what's the competency, um, and then how will they integrate as a part of the culture and the team. Um, That's actually really what's quite critical and their ability to learn. 
So the ability to learn, I think, is such a key skill for people and yep. that, um, that willingness to learn as well. Um, that's really what's going to position people well. Yeah, I think, again, on the trend of how quickly things are changing today, that you just can't assume that your skill set, that's all you're going to need. It just simply isn't. So I'm, I'm hoping that um, you actually get the opportunity to go to schools and talk to year eight and year nine students. Is it year eight where they start making these crucial decisions about what subjects they're going to study? Uh, what, what advice do you give them? Like, what do you say to this year eight student sitting there now? Sit up and pay attention. These yeah. are important. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I think one of the key things that, um, that I encourage young people, and particularly when choosing what path am I going to take, um, that they don't necessarily have to be fearful of that. Don't be fearful of getting it wrong. I think a lot of people put so much pressure on, I need to choose it, this is the path that I'm going to go on for the rest of my life and I need to get it right. Um, I, I don't believe that that's the case. I think you do want to choose well, but it doesn't mean that you're locked in forever into one avenue. So um, because there is this constant reskilling that's taking place. So first of all is don't be fearful and remove some of that pressure and intensity of what if I get it wrong. Um, secondly, um, STEM subjects are critical to everything that we do, whether that's in the humanities, whether that is in your, um, your science and engineering fields, whether it's in IT, um, or um, aged care, etc. It's core to everything now. So um, I think even exploring something that they're passionate about, um, first and foremost, they're curious about, um, but leaning into those STEM subjects is really critical because that's going to underpin everything. Um, and then we also encourage them to connect early with industry. You know, coming back to that real industry connection, uh, we've got a lot of industry that are keen to explore the channels of, of um, bringing people through from a schooling system um, into their organisation. Uh, and that doesn't that may be through university, it may be directly and then on to university. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to follow this step-by-step -step path. Um, it could be a matter of then connecting with industry to find out, find out about what they do, what their challenge areas are, what their gaps are in skills and the types of things that they look for um, that when they're hiring. And then, um, and then look at opportunities to explore that as well. So, um, but not to shy away from having conversations with industry because I think that's, that's really important. And I also think that pursuing an industry specifically is certainly not going to lock you out from other industries um, you mentioned before certain roles require a degree. Absolutely. I think what we're seeing now is that people are choosing different pathways. They are then going on to, um, to get their degrees, but they, we're also seeing a lot of people that have got their degrees that are wanting to then um, keep current and, um, and to reskill and upskill, and they might choose then a specialist pathway based on that. Um, or that new license or accreditation that they might need. So, um, so I think that there is this. Um, it's not a step by step um, career approach now. It's a matter of um, choosing, understanding it's a little bit more fluid, um, but ensuring that you're going to um, be um, following an area of passion, following an area of need, um, and equally understanding how could I then develop my skills that are going to retain relevancy and um, what are the things that I'm going to need to upskill myself in. As I don't have enough work, I'm just going to put it out to all the career advisors there that they need to connect with you. You need to do a training session with them on Zoom and get them because I actually think the career advisor position at school is becoming like 
really important. I hate to say that when I was at school, the career advisors, like we sort of fought them off because I thought they were a little bit of nitwits. But today I'm assuming that it's a it's a hugely important role at a school. Your career advisor needs to be really in the thick of things and they actually have to go and do little stints at organizations. They should go and work at engineering firms to go, listen, this is what's going to happen to you when you go there. So I don't even know if that's available to them. But so <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, um, Nikki. I think that there's um, that there are fantastic career advisors that are out there, but there's also new avenues that are being explored. You know, when we launched the Digital Engineering Higher Apprenticeship, it was a challenge to try and get that in front of different schools to say this is a new pathway and to um, reassure them of this is valid, this is a great pathway. In fact, we. When we did that, we approached a number of schools. Um, some schools didn't return our calls because they didn't want to know about this new pathway. Um, so I think encouraging people to, to look at what's new, what's emerging, what are the differences that are taking place now? What are the new opportunities? You know, people understand an electrician and a plumber, but they might not understand a digital engineer or they might not understand a, a robotics expert or, you know, a technician in a certain field. They might not understand those different pathways. Um, but um, but those are where the emerging opportunities are absolutely coming from. Mm. Um, so, and I think when we um, we did do that, we also launched a series of uh, radio ads. And it was interesting because sometimes the parents would then come back and say, oh, I heard that on radio. So, yeah, actually, you need to have a conversation. And when we said to them, these are the organisations that are involved that were blown away by the calibre of the, of the organisations exploring these, these pathways that um, I think perhaps weren't just understood before. Look, I, I recognise that schools, they probably, you know, they have their hands full. This is no, I'm not here to, to slag any schools or anything, but it, to my opinion, it's crucial. Your career advisors, it's, it's now a paramount role because they're the conduit between industry, universities, organisations such as SAGE to say, these are all the options open to you. And I'm a little bit amazed that schools didn't respond, but let's say it was COVID and, you know, they probably they had their hands full with that. But yeah. um, to, to any teachers out there listening to this, um, you can contact Laura because I'm going to put her details in the show notes. But certainly I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a, a 16, 17 year old student and looking at all these overwhelming decisions that you have to make. And as you said, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it makes it so much harder for you, unnecessarily so, if you don't have some subjects that you actually need. And no one's suggesting that you have to get a distinction. You just have to pass the subject so that you can actually go on and do other things. So mentors. Do you have a mentor? What do you what do you think of mentors? I love mentors. And yes, I um, I have always really had a mentor and um, and had different people that have um, help to influence. It's interesting because some of those, some of the people that I would call a mentor, I've probably never actually spoken with, but I feel like I've I've leaned into some of their, uh, whether it's their podcasts or some of their uh, their books and material, and that has had an influence, so or a mentoring type influence. Um, but yes, absolutely, I have had um, mentors, and I think that's been really important, um, particularly as we progress into different roles throughout our careers. There's a need to be able to bounce ideas, bounce learnings, um, concepts, um, different thinking, challenging scenarios off of someone that's not immediately in that work environment. Yeah. And I think that is, um, or that work team specifically, 
it's really important to be able to do that to help to understand what's uh, what might be a great learning opportunity, um, to be able to work out how to position it differently, how to shape your own leadership skills. Um, you know, leadership is core to every role out there. I, I believe so that area of self-leadership is really important. Um, but understanding who you are in your self-leadership, who you want to be as a leader, sometimes you need to be able to verbalise and bounce this off of another person that can help to guide and, um, and to shape people with that. Um, so I, I am absolutely passionate about um, mentoring. Sometimes people confuse coaching and mentoring. Um, you know, I think that you can have a mentor from an area that doesn't have to have the same technical background as yourself, um, yeah. but they have got something that you're wanting to, um, to lean into. Um, a coach typically will have the, the, the skill set, the capability, and will be able to say, do this and follow this path, or these are the types of things that you need to develop, and that's going to get you better at this. Um, so understanding the different things that you need at different times is really important. Um, but without a mentor, you know, all the professionals, professional athletes, they all have coaches still when they're, you know, performing at the highest levels. I think, and the same goes for business and being in your career. If we're not having that person that's going to help us, you know, they're there to really help us in our career and uh, you as an individual um, to be able to really succeed and to pursue and be, um, you know, constantly improving, um, then we're really doing ourselves an injustice, I think. We're missing an opportunity for growth. Yeah, I think, you know, going back again, like several years ago, you know, when I started out my career, you would think, oh, mentor and coaching is only for people who are super smart and, you know, they're only the leaders, but it's not true. It's everyone needs a mentor and a coach. And I can't emphasize it enough to say that you need to start early. You know, when you're even at school, find someone that you look up to and you start talking to them and start getting, you know, and we're not all fortunate to have maybe parents that have got the experience to put you um, on the best path possible so if, if that's your situation then find someone else that can help you and there are people out there that are more than willing to do it I completely agree I think there are people that are wanting to help wanting to impart their learnings their expertise um, and to support people to give them an opportunity that they might not have had before um, but uh, I completely agree with you as far as it, it's not just for the, the CEOs to, or whoever, no. you know, the top levels of leadership to have a mentor. This is really um, quite critical at an early stage as well. Um, and they can also create and open doors for you. Yes. So they can advise you on different resources. They can coach you and guide you. They can provide you with great insights that will really help you to develop but they will also introduce you to people. They'll also, um, you know, connect you with um, with different opportunities where it's possible. So I, I think that there is so much value to be gained. And if people are looking for a mentor, then, um, then as you said, there's a lot of people that are out there and there's different channels that they can pursue to access those. To those out there listening, um, then that means that you actually have to get off your butt and do it. Um, your mentor is not going to come to you. You actually have to do it and do it. You will never regret that decision. Laura, I'm absolutely delighted that you're going to be at Generate 22. I can't wait to meet you in person because I think we, we will just go on from where we leaving this conversation will just natter on but tell tell our listeners what they can expect to to see at your stand there um you know they can come and ask you questions and do you have a melbourne-based team yet like how, how far has this all progressed for you 
Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, Graham Williams is our uh, trainer based in um, in Victoria. We've got a, a team there. We've got an office in Port Melbourne and in Keysborough. Um, but um, we can't wait to be at uh, Generate 22. Um, so I will be there. We'll have one of our trainers there as well. And um, what is available for people there is an opportunity to come and talk about um, from either from an organisation perspective, if there's other organisations there that are wanting to talk and uh, have a conversation about the skills gaps, talk about what's taking place in this space and how it could be done differently. Um, and from an individual perspective to um, come and have a conversation with us, explore what's possible. Um, we're very happy and would love to connect you with different avenues and different, um, different pathways as well, whether that's through Skills Lab or another one. Um, we are all about collaboration. We love it. I think it's just about seeing people that are hungry to pursue a career, particularly in the STEM area, is just fantastic. Um, and we're really happy to help out and provide some of that insight as well. So looking forward to being there. Listen, it's been an absolute delight and pleasure speaking with you. Um, you are so vivacious and I can see you love your work so much. I'm so happy that uh, you're in the industry that you are because I can just see enormous good coming from this. Now, if someone in the audience wants to reach you, can I put your email address? Yes, you can and uh, would love to hear from people. So um, you definitely can. And uh and likewise, Nikki, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person too. <laughs> so it's going to be, I'm, I'm so looking at chapping up. So if any of the audience listening, if you haven't uh, reserved your ticket, if you're a student or an educator, get onto it. And by educators, it's like a broad sweep. If you're a parent, then that could also class as an educator. So if you listen to this, then you will have the benefit of just registering yourself out there. Laura, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're very busy. To our listeners, thank you for joining me for another episode and I look forward to you joining me next week again and uh, have a great day wherever you are in the world. Mm -hmm.